Welcome to FinTalks, a chat with Finance Malta. With me today, I have Fiorentina Damore, Head of Compliance and MLRO at Itoro and Chairperson of FEMA, which is a financial, financial institution, Malta. And during this podcast, we will be discussing the financial institutions as the pivot of an economy's system. Thank you, Mrs. Damore, for joining us um, for this chat. Thank you for inviting me. My first question is lean and contactless operations. What are the opportunities and the threats? So um, first and foremost, one needs to understand what financial institutions um, mean in our economy today, in the ecosystem. Um, By financial institutions, we mean financial institutions that are non-banks. So that they are not uh, fully fledged banks offering all the products of banks. Um, uh, fintech in general is a market and consumer driven um, phenomenon and this means that it's built around uh, um, the needs of the consumers the needs of the business consumers and the retail consumers and it's built through and by and with disruptive innovation and technology, mm-hmm. hence the fintech uh, buzzword. Some describe it as the evolution of traditional banking, but I mm, disagree with this, uh, with this statement. Um, um, financial institutions are the result of a disgregation of, bankings, uh, of banking uh, services into micro-specialized units that function within the same, uh, the same uh, let's say, economy. Um, think um, as the bank, as the shopping mall, mm-hmm. and as financial institutions as the uh, deli or the boutique or the okay. specialized shop. Um, can we live with without one of the two? I don't think so. In order to have a better array of products and offerings, in my opinion, a healthy economy, a healthy ecosystem for financial services is one that includes both. Um, uh, so I do not see them as competitors. I see them as different animals in uh, in, uh, in the same sector. in the savanna. Yes, exactly <laughs> of economic uh, um, uh, areas. Um, so it's a different experience. There are many positive considerations that we can do about uh, about financial institutions in this uh, in this scenario. First and foremost, they differ in culture and structure. The way FIs are structured is a plus already in its own in its own merit. They are smaller. They are flatter organizational hierarchies. Uh, to the av- the average age bracket of CEOs is always lower. Mm-hmm. compared to traditional bankers and decision makers um, are always um, slightly less in number than, than, in traditional, than in traditional banking. So you, you might find less committees, less red tape, Less bureaucracy. Less bureaucracy, less time, <clears throat> beg your pardon, less time um, between design, launch, decisions and, uh, you know, replies even to customers. So that is definitely, definitely a plus. Um, um, it is also um, somewhere, um, it is also important to consider the fact that financial institutions thrive on innovation. Mm-hmm. So the R&D departments in a financial institution is not a department tugged in somewhere within the structure of um, a m- 
thousands of employees company, but it is the business itself. So the R&D, the research and development, the innovation, sometimes it's the business itself. Many times we observe that the innovators are the founders of financial institutions, mm-hmm. are the CEOs of financial institutions, not just a segregated department. And this creates vision and it also creates, um, um, let's say, a better environment where, where things happen fast and where things are created. Um, in small organizations, one generally finds a fluid approach um, to decision making, as I said. Um, uh, when you work in an FI, you are expected to speak to the CEO on a daily basis because he would be either working in the same uh, office, <laughs> uh, sometimes in an open space, and therefore um, uh, communication uh, happens fast and, uh, and seamless. Um, um, in a knowledge economy, communication is the key. So, uh, and and speed is also key because when we are talking about innovation, we are talking about the, the the importance of being the fastest and uh, swiftest out there in uh, in the market. So, so you don't agree with the argument that the banks are dying a natural death? No, I do not agree personally with that statement because I still believe there is a need for banking. Uh, if you think about mortgages, if you think about uh, the, the principle of one-stop shop, um, uh, they create a lot of value. Of course, they're, they're a, a different kind of animal. They're larger mm-hmm. and uh, they're more uh, difficult to manage sometimes. And the culture can become um, and does become uh, quite uh, heavy, quite heavy and, uh, and political sometimes. Yeah. So we know that. So... With regards to leanness, so um, so that everything will run smooth, um, what should one look for? Right. So um, um, by default, a smaller organization is uh, easier to manage and easier to control. When it comes to risk, financial institutions um, do not lend money that belongs to clients. So uh, um, the value at risk is low. This uh, is the reason why FIs um, uh, do not require to carry out uh, intensive exercises such as ICAP and ILAP, where the capital is apportioned according to the risk that the companies are taking, that the banks are taking, mm. vis-a-vis uh, the um, investments that they are carrying out with the, with the funds of their own clients. So uh, that is one um, benefit that um, FIs are, are leveraging on. Um, also, most FIs are specialized around one or two products and services, and this translate, translates automatically into better control, better understanding, and also more focus and um, mitigation of risks related to, to those products. The other element of uh, um, uh, in favor of being a lean organization is costs, of course. A relatively smaller company tends to grow faster because mm-hmm. it's lean. Um, it's never face-to-face, so the entity can reach clients en masse through technology such as mobile apps, um, social media, and also internet banking, and penetrate markets which are far away from mm-hmm. the from the area of operation without necessarily setting up business in those areas, mm-hmm. physical business. Mm-hmm. And um, because every company specializes in something, it's also easy to become modular and partner up 
with uh, other players in the industry. So let's say I do payments and you do cards. We partner up together and we offer our respective clients a vaster array of services, um, more service offerings, and of course, without incurring the costs of delving into those businesses. So I do not need to make great investments in equipment, personnel, knowledge, software, etc., because I have a partner which I'm co-sourcing with. So that is something um, which is a huge positive in the industry. And it has and it's happening. It's happening as we speak, and it will continue to happen and it will continue to grow. Mm-hmm. All them clusters. Um, so um, imagine having a car that is cheaper to run and faster to drive. So that is the financial institution concept. It's mm-hmm. something leaner and something more efficient and effective, both from um, uh, an investment perspective as well as uh, from a revenue investment ratio. Um, What what about risks and clients' funds protection? Are funds deposited safe with financial institutions? So this is probably the most misunderstood and misrepresented fact about financial institutions. Um, uh, it is basically related to the fact that traditional European banks are obliged by regulators um, uh, to offer something which is known as the Depository Compensation Scheme, which um, protects up to 100,000 euro or equivalent of client funds per client. Not per account, per client. Um, uh, The reason why FIs do not offer the depository compensation scheme is very simple. It's because unlike banks, they do not um, lend, they are not even allowed to uh, lend or reinvest funds that belong to their clients. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the funds by law are um, kept in segregated accounts within financial institutions, which are banks, regulated in reputable jurisdiction, usually it's Europe, in segregated accounts um, nominated as client accounts. And they are left there for the benefit of the client. So should the client um, pull out his cash, the the availability is there. Mm -hmm. So what happens if an FI defaults? What happens to the money of the clients? Are those money protected? Yes, and they are protected in its entirety. The, the balance is completely protected, not just 100,000, but it is protected as it would be guaranteed in a liquidation where the creditor has a right to his own funds. So the same concept that we were used to traditionally with the bank, same applies to, to FIs. I might say it's even better because you have 100% of your capital and not just 100K. Because mm. if you have a million, you might be losing 900,000 through the depository compensation scheme if the bank defaults in the un- unlikely event that it happens. But we've seen banks default mm-hmm. and uh, the depository compensation scheme served as a lifesaver for many investors and for many um, bank, uh, bank account users. But we need to understand that the depository compensation scheme is there to protect because the bank is taking certain risks with clients' funds. And it is the way that banks work. Bank lend money that does not belong to them, to other people, 
and it's, it's in, in a cycle. Yeah. So they need to make sure that they have um, a liquidity which is uh, commensurate with what uh, with what risks they're taking. Uh, what about the the in, um, industry risk appetite? Why do FIs seem to be more risk tolerant, more lenient? Is this a fact or again, this is a perception? So I believe that there is truth in both assumptions. Um, um, the higher the risk tolerance, um, the higher risk tolerance might derive from the fact that FIs are focused on less products mm-hmm. and therefore they can um, concentrate on those risks and they can invest all their time um, mitigating those risks. So there's less dilution mm-hmm. in terms of effort. Um, on the other hand, we know that large banks um, around the world, not only locally, um, are de-risking because um, it, it has been imposed on them by EU regulators. And uh, massive players have closed down in the past two years um, within the European Union. Um, and this has created um, a lot of... Uh, gaps in the in the in the service provision what does it mean it means that there has been thousands of account holders which were orphaned of a bank and which required immediate services where did they find that support in fis because fis were there to support um uh, support this uh, uh, this situation without um elongating too much and delaying too much the service provision due to their leanness. Yeah. So but but basically if you if you take this in the first context that we were talking in the first question about leanness and contactless, so both of them have to survive um because it's it's important for for society to have basically a, a choice of where to go, right? Yes. Mm, just to go back to the example of not to have a one stop exactly one one shop I mean. Just one, one we we live um, in in um in an era where we are spoiled for choice. And it should be that way because consumers, clients, uh, businesses, our uh, needs are changing every day. And uh, the financial institutions and banks um, need to understand this. They need to gauge on this and they need to create uh, products which are and services which are um, um, helping uh, the businesses grow. Sometimes, Innovation means that you you are creating something that is needed before your consumer knows what he needs, and you propose it as a solution. So financial institutions are not an added value. They are a solution in the market, and that is what makes them uh, very, very successful. With regards to financial institutions, again, mm-hmm. are there any negative elements within the industry itself? Of course, nothing in this world is perfect and uh, many opportunities I mentioned and many positives I mentioned have a dark side too. The challenges of the industry um, are complex, as complex as uh, their dynamics are. Take for example speed to market um, and the importance that financial institutions give to be the first with propositions in the market. 
um, from an operational perspective, fast-paced projects driven by high, by, by high competition could potentially uh, suffer imperfections. And we observe that at times we go to market fast, but then have a product that needs readjusting and readjusting and readjusting. So you would be spending a year developing a product and another year optimizing it. Mm -hmm. um, um, but that is um, a trend. And I think uh, that the majority of FIs have um, adapted to it to a point where they manage to be quite efficient at uh, preventing massive mishaps. Um, when it comes to remaining lean, we have to understand a very important uh, factor here, and it's the, 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 the concept of outsourcing or co-sourcing. Um, outsourcing business functions or partnering with other stakeholders um, in the industry requires a great deal of internal controls and quality checking and setting of KPIs and reviewing of policies, procedures of other participants because automatically those risks become your risks. And uh, because you are not fully in control of the operations of those functions, uh, you need to establish... Um, a very, very stringent and robust safety net for that and monitoring for that. Um, the speed at which transactions take place and the fact that clients are never met or 99% of clients are never met in person also puts a lot of strain on the risk of AML and CFT. We know that um, we implement technology to help us mitigate that. However, the risk of uh, financing of terrorism and uh, money laundering is, is always there. Um, how can you mitigate those, these, these risks in simple terms? Companies need to beef up the departments of AML and CFT, risk and compliance, mm -hmm. um, commensurately with the risks they're taking, with the number of clients they have, with the number of first-line um, employees they have, and um, they need to understand that if it's true that from a liquidity risk perspective, we are um, um, not obliged to report ICAP and LIPCAP, so the obligations are lighter, from an AML perspective, the obligations are identical to those of a bank that can, um, uh, you know, that have the luxury of having departments in compliance and, and AML of 40, 50 people. Mm -hmm. So we have the same obligation. So we need to find a way where we don't have two or three people in a department of compliance and risk, but it is beefed up with personnel, with trained personnel, as well as technology and investment needs to be uh, there. And for the sake of those people who are following this, especially people who are interested in investing in Malta, um, who would be checking that an FI um, has all the necessary technology, personnel, trained personnel, professional people before it opens its doors? So there are um, at least two layers to this. The first layer is the checking of the qualifications of the people who are the money laundering reporting officer, um, um, compliance officers, uh, the CEOs, the board of directors, um, the head of risk departments, and also auditors and, uh, and other key staff are PQ'd. PQ'd means, it's, it's an acronym for personal questionnaire. 
it's an extensive and uh, very very granular um, um, let's say questionnaire that uh, that actually uh, is aimed at understanding if a person is fit and proper for that role mm-hmm. so the the combinations are generally experience as well as um, academic qualifications and personal attitude because this is a job that doesn't occur behind closed doors so the MLRO or the compliance officer wouldn't be a person that's along with a computer or along with the software it's a person that needs to um, have uh, sufficient seniority and command as the law stipulates literally and uh, needs to have a certain personality that um, allows them to put their foot down when they have to put their foot down or to provide solutions which are robust enough but also flexible enough not to block business okay. and that's that's probably the biggest challenge okay um sh- uh, shifting to fatf increased monitoring why what are the implications for the industry and how should um, the companies themselves the financial services itself as a sector should react and act so um it is a known fact that in the past five years Maltese FIs, Maltese financial institutions, um, um and to a certain extent even banks have suffered um um a phenomenon of obstructionism and difficulty in opening bank accounts for um, correspondent banking relationships abroad. So we were already being scrutinized as a high risk jurisdiction and uh, of course being in the list of the FATF um, has made this a little bit worse. However, um, um, being a country under increased monitoring by the FATF might imply that the scrutiny, which we call um, enhanced due diligence, will become a little bit more stringent but nothing that we haven't been used to in the past five years. So it was a gradual um, approach. It was a gradual change that, we, that we've observed okay. in the industry. Um, the question is, has this stopped um, financial institutions and uh, the numbers of financial institutions or the number of financial institutions investors that... Uh, um, um, come to Malta to open, um, um, you know, to get a license or get passported? Uh, the answer is no. We haven't observed that. There hasn't been a change in that. And uh, so far, um, although one shouldn't be um, uh, counting the, the, the chickens before they hatched, we do not see a drastic change. The change will be visible within a year or two if we are still in the enhanced monitoring list. Um, so when you say no change, no, no, no repercussions? There are no repercussions for the time being and there are no um, um, catastrophic uh, you know, ha- events happening. It is um, more a matter of understanding for, for the general public especially, what, what does it mean to be on an FATF, on, on the FATF grey list? Or as we call it, enhanced monitoring, enhanced monitoring list. Um, because we are now under a larger lens, the recommendation for um, the players in the industries is to make sure that they take this occasion as... Um, uh, 
more than a wake-up call as, as a way of refreshing their programs, their ML programs, yeah. their, their, um, their investments, uh, their systems, etc. Uh, et and I know for a fact that this is already being done by, by, by the players in the industry. I mean, uh, from discussions held with, uh, with, many, uh, with many financial institutions in Malta, it is very clear that they are understanding what is wrong or what could be done better and they are changing it so it is a change that happens at a micro level within the financial institutions as well as a macro level when it comes to um, government um, uh, efforts in changing the way things are um, uh, you know um, actually implemented in the sector at a larger so, at a larger so scale so in your view like the way forward should be what um in the way forward, mm, we are to expect positive results. I believe there is always a silver lining in every cloud. I believe that if we are smart, and we are, uh, we should take this as, an, as a test or as an occasion, as, a, as, an, uh, as an opportunity to change for the best. And um, I would like also to point out that not all grey-listed countries are there for the same reasons. Yes. So some are being punished for things which are minor. Some are being pun- the word punished is some are being monitored um, <laughs> uh, for for uh, issues which are uh, very very severe. And the time of presence of permanence on that list is the meter um, of the severities of yes. these of these um, of these deficiencies. So um, I look at this as a test of endurance for us and an opportunity to reassess and rethink our, um, uh, our approach collectively so that we start changing what can be changed and um, you know, correcting the route that, that uh, when, this needs to be, when this needs to be corrected. I also believe that uh, once the recommendations of the FATF will be implemented, Malta will get out forged and stronger than ever before economically. And then it, it will be unstoppable. Uh, I'm seeing all this positivity, which is very, very good. I mean, that's what this country ultimately needs. But during this um, the preparatory t- um, period, while we're preparing to reach certain recommendations uh, made for us, um, do you see that our economic growth will stop for now or will still continue to grow? Economic gro- growth is not something that stops because you are... Um, um, planning or rearranging other elements in the economy. Okay. Um, uh, as I said before, financial institutions and the business of that rotates around financial institutions that support, um, that support a, a system, an economic system, um, um, cannot really stop because industries like, I don't know, uh, technology, telecommunication, or anything that's not regulated, but it's innovative, or uh, even gambling, or the services that support gambling, or, mm-hmm. you know, um, any, any other industry that is served by the financial services um, um, 
partners are not stopping because of FATF. Yeah. So the wheel keeps on spinning. Will it spin faster? Probably not, but it will not stop. And it will definitely not uh, dwarf or cave in. Fiorentina D'Amore, thank you so much for participating in this uh, podcast. I encourage you all to follow this chat and other chats um, in the, with, with Finance Malta um, on our YouTube channel as well as on our media, social media platforms. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.